Thanks, Sammy. Sammy's helping out in the high school group. We're, not, we're still trying to decide if that was a good, uh, good decision that we made. <laughs> well, uh, Annika and I went to a wedding the other day, and it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. We, we sat down, and have you guys ever been to one of the receptions? I, I don't know if this couple's here today, but they were uh, taking their photos, you know, and I think that if I were to be like a wedding coordinator, I'd have the photos go either before or after the wedding, but to make people wait, you know, for their food, it's just like torture. But, you know, in this case, it actually kind of worked out because we got to meet some people. We uh, sat at a table with a really uh, nice couple, actually, and um, they had recently moved to Fairplay uh, up, in, up in the mountains. And they were telling us why they moved to Fairplay, because, you know, their life was just so chaotic. They had been so busy for so long, and they had raised three or four kids, and, you know, it was just time to finally get some peace and quiet. So... They explained how, uh, you know, it wasn't really easy to move to a small town. It had been a really difficult transition for them. Um, it was just so slow. Things were so quiet and there was so little to do. The, the wife happened to be just a really sociable person. And she was saying it had been a real challenge. She also explained how they had never really had the chance to know each other fully in their marriage. Because, again, he was always working and she was taking care of the kids and they just, it seems like their lives never truly crossed paths. So now they've moved on to the next stage. They've got quite a few grandkids and they were excited because they've got this piece of property. You know, they're thinking, this is going to be great. You know, we can go out and do all kinds of things and we've got this cute little home and the kids will love it. So they spent quite a bit of time, you know, planning for the, for the grandkids' first visit. And they had about, uh, I think it was a five-day itinerary of things that they were going to do while the kids were there on their little vacation. And they said that they were incredibly and 100% total, totally let down when the kids showed up and they buzzed through the entire itinerary in about five minutes. The kids just really weren't impressed, you know. They weren't impressed with the property. They weren't impressed with grandma and grandpa's plans. The grandparents were crushed. They were so confused. Why are these... Why, why aren't they interested? The grandma, you know, had on the plan to make cookies and homemade ice cream. And, you know, they were going to take an adventure through the forest. It all sounded good to me. But the children were not interested. They, all they wanted to do was play the video games that they had brought and watch the movies, the DVDs. The grandparents were, in a sense, devastated. They weren't into their plans. You know, I explained how, you know, being in youth work, working with young people, we kind of have the same uh, struggle. You know, sometimes it feels like you're fighting for their, their attention. You know, it feels like it's never the right activity or it feels like you just can't seem to get the right trip planned or whatever. The young culture is so bent on getting what I want now. Maybe it's not just the young culture. Maybe it's all of us. I'm not saying that this is the first generation that has wanted what they wanted after all they didn't write the song you know it's my party and i'll cry if i want to but if if you guys have seen the uh mtv television show my sweet 16 anybody seen the show probably all these guys yeah it, it's not pretty let me let me just be totally honest it's actually quite scary the show documents the lives of teenagers who are allowed to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their 16th birthday party hundreds of thousands you know, I think they, there's probably a kid, I don't even know, but I think there's a kid that spent over a million dollars on his birthday party, or hers. And the coolest part of the show, the part that I like, is that at the end, they're always devastated. 
It's never good enough. You know, everything was lame. The people were lame. The party was lame. The clothes were wear, you know, the clothes that people wore were lame. You know, my friends are horrible. You know, and the list goes on and on. And the girls are always, you know, bawling. They're like sobbing, you know, because this party didn't work out the way that they had planned. What a shame that is. You know, I was thinking this week, you know, how have times changed? My grandpa, for his, you know, like seventh birthday party, I think he got a peanut, and he still has it to this day, you know? He's just holding on to that thing. Times have changed. Where does this mentality come from? I'm sure we could come up with all different types of reasons, you know? Well, this and this and this. One of our favorites, though, that we've been talking about a lot is technology. It's the 21st century gadgets. Get me what I want when I want it. Our culture is constantly looking for convenience. Instant gratification. You know, let's keep people entertained or, you know, they're likely to get bored. You know, we don't want people getting bored or perhaps they'll realize how incredibly depressed they are. So we've got to keep all this racket, all this noise in their ear. So we put, you know, TVs and radios in every room. You've got DVD players and cars, iPod jacks and clothing. And if you've gotten the latest, uh, I don't know if you've looked at it, but the the latest Christmas catalogs, most of the furniture now is coming pre-wired for iPods. So, you know, if you guys are looking for any ideas. But if you can't sit in a lazy boy without an iPod, something's wrong. Am I right? So get connected. Noise. I'm not entertained. How about you guys? You entertained? You know, cell phones, wireless networks. If you buy this phone, you know, you'll be connected. You'll never have any drop calls. And by the way, you'll have, you know, a million friends and they can't wait to talk to you. So come on down. I can tell you one thing. Our youth are connected. They're connected 24-7. If something is going on, I'm going to know about it. And by the way, start submitting your number to, you know, submitting your requests to 303-570-29. That's my number, you know. And if it sounds fun, I might, I might make it. I might bless you with my presence. No, I'm serious. Nowadays, if I've committed or if someone's committed to a birthday party, if something better comes up, you know that they're going to miss the birthday party because they got a better option. And it was all about that instant gratification. You know, MySpace gives me a chance to be who I wish I was. Me, minus my flaws, minus my imperfections. I have a million friends who are detached and require very little commitment, but hey, they're my friends. In this culture, you can't uh, win. You just can't win unless you're in somebody's face 24-7. And even then, you are likely to be overlooked because you're not interesting enough. My guess is that most of us sense this in our families. You feel like you're in a constant struggle for your loved one's attention. Maybe you're in a struggle for your mom's attention, your dad's attention, your, your children, your grandchildren. You feel like you, you can't get their love. Perhaps you feel like you are falling behind. The other night I was talking to a friend and she had just recently uh, moved back from Central America. She'd spent six months down there and she was telling me how, you know, she, when she got home, all she could do was cry. Because she said she was so overwhelmed by the pace of our culture. It just seems like, 
you know, Americans miss out on the simple pleasures of just living. Enjoying each other, enjoying family. Well, another friend, we just kind of started going back and forth and saying how, well, yeah, but you can't quit. You can't stop. You can't slow down. If you do, you're likely to fall behind. You know, people will forget about you. Do we really believe that? Your whole life will pass you by? Do we really feel that way? Could this be why so many take refuge in counseling? It's like, doctor, you know, my life is spiraling out of control. What do I do? Help me. Doctors have no other choice. Yes, your life is spiraling out of control. You're about to lose control. So let's get you help. Medication, you know, come again next week. Let's see if we can. But is that our answer? Is that the church's answer? Medication. Counseling. Throughout Scripture, it seems like God's people continually lose focus on Him because He's not in their face. They were looking for a God that they could see, a God that they could touch and feel and put my hands on, and somebody that I can count on. That's why they all had idols, you know, in their households. That's why we have our idols. Something that I can count on. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people, especially young people, say, I just can't feel God. Where is He? I can't hear God. I can't see Him. Why can't He just make Himself obvious? Everything else is so easy to believe in. It's just, it's right there. It's in front of me. It's so easy to follow. Why can't God be that way? The question I have for you is, can God make Himself obvious? Can he compete? Of course he can. He's God. He can do anything. Not that any of these things are bad, but God has no desire to compete with our work, our sports, our text messaging, our schoolwork, you know, our music, computers. Honestly, he shouldn't have to compete with these things. He should be our priority. He should come first in our lives. He doesn't want, I mean, he doesn't want to be your leftovers. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your love. He wants your attention, and truly, he just wants your relationship. So take a look at this video. It's it's a little obnoxious, but I think you'll get the point. Oh, 
Like two to three thousand. My face are on the computer. Uh, I usually have it on, but I'm actually thinking about it for like two hours. Well, when I get home. So like maybe three hours. I'm a rookie. And how many texts do you send in one month? Say it again. Wow. 24,000 text messages in a month. That is unbelievable. I was so startled by that statistic. Um, that movie is really annoying, and that's an average night at youth group. If you're all wondering, come on down anytime you like. We need helpers. Um, that's really why we're here, just to recruit, so come up and sign up after if you're interested. No, I'm just kidding. Youth group is great, and we have great kids. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. First, I wanted to um, admit to you some of the insecurities that I've had. Of course, on getting up here and speaking to you all today. I've um, you know, had a week full of anxiety and preparing for my lesson and how's it going to go and all this. But last week, I have to thank Todd because he really made me feel a lot better when he brought up the idea that there's a dispute amongst some people about the role of women in the church. I just thought, wow, talk about anxiety. That's just great. Thanks. <laughs> so anyway, if you are one of those people, that's okay. I just figured maybe for the next 10 minutes, you can just close your eyes, pretend I'm a man, and we'll, we'll be just fun. I'm just kidding. So anyway, that video, obnoxious, noisy, loud. If you're anything like me, though, you're probably sitting there thinking, that seems a lot like the noise in my life, even as an adult. I'm sure many of us relate to some of these kids. In fact, I think a lot of adults have even longer lists of responsibilities than some of these younger people. Diapers to change, families to feed, errands to run, laundry to do, projects and deadlines at work to, to get done. The list goes on and on. Like Matt said, most of us feel like we have very little time left over at the end of our day for God. Very little time um, when things are all said and done. Over and over again, I find myself asking, does anybody else feel like they're drowning in their list of to-dos? I constantly feel like I just I can't keep my head on things. I don't have control. And you know, there's so much to get done. And for what? For what? There are a few people, though, that come to mind um, that I think that we can relate to, whose stories that we can find in the Bible. The Bible gives us several accounts of people who literally, physically crossed paths with Jesus during that time, but missed out on incredible opportunities to live and serve alongside him because they were distracted, because they had too many other things to get to and, and other things that took priority over spending time with Jesus. The first person I want to look at is Martha. In Luke, we read that as Jesus and his disciples are traveling, they stop at a village where a woman named Martha opens um, her home to him. Now, Martha has a sister named Mary who sat at Christ's feet, just listening to everything he had to say, totally in his presence and consumed with him, and that she had this time to sit and be. Now, Martha, on the other hand, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made and all the work that had to be done. So she approached Christ and said, Lord, can't you tell Mary to start helping me? My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. But Jesus replies, Martha. You are worrying over way too many things when only one thing is needed. Only one thing is necessary. He says, Mary has chosen what is right, what is better. 
and nothing can ever take that away from her. This story speaks volumes to me. This is the first story I think of when, when I think about distraction and how um, our culture has really demanded our attention and taken it away from God. Always trying to get things done when at the end of the day, what have I gained? Do you feel like that? At the end of the day, when you're done with work, when you're done with soccer practice, when you're done cooking dinner, and you can finally sit down and think, what have you gained? I think about that all the time. Like Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul, his relationship with his creator, his faith? Other people that um, Christ met along the way also struggled with the same temptation of tending to too many things, just like Martha did. Also in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, there's a story of, of a man to whom Jesus says, follow me, follow me now. And the man says, okay, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. First let me do this, and then I'll be there. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It was logical to them, you see. It was logical. If I don't go and tend to my family's business, if I don't go say goodbye, if I don't bury my father, if I don't do all these things, then who will? I'm sure you guys also ask yourself that question. If I don't get all these things done, if I don't cook dinner, if I don't do this and this and this, who's going to do it? I have to do it. It has to be done. But as we hear how Jesus replies to these people, we realize that he doesn't always want to hear our reasons. He doesn't always want to hear our worries and our concerns and why we have to do this and this and this. He's not interested in that. I think he'd love it at times if we could just stop what we're doing, stop reasoning, stop thinking, stop worrying, stop doing, and just be. Be with him. But the question is how, right? I'm sure a lot of us would say, yeah, I'd love to just sit and be, and that would be great. But how? How is that possible today? How do we break out of this mold in which we find ourselves so trapped? Well, I think the best example that I can personally think of in my own life is the trips that we actually take with the high school group. Um, this past July, we took a group of these same kids that you just saw on this video, distracted, busy, overstimulated, so, much, so many things to get done. We took them um, on, a tr- on a retreat for a week. And much like um, our other trips, our focus was to dig deeper into the lives of one another while learning more about God and, and how to live and how to serve him more. We were able to discuss faith, community, life, without the distractions of cell phones and internet and video games and iPods and all these other things. And on the final night, after a time of worship, many, of, many kids of the group admitted that Christ had not been a priority to them. And they decided that they wanted to renew their commitment to Christ. Now, I have to say, I have never witnessed a group of people so fully in tune with God's voice. I have never experienced such a thing. And I'm sure that we talk about it all the time. A lot of the kids have this same experience ingrained in them, and we talk about it as the year goes on up until the next year. And how can we, how can we find that experience again? How can we get back to that place that, that we get to when we're on these trips? We realize that by eliminating just a few of these distractions, the iPods and the technology and all, these, all this busyness, that Christ was finally able to break in. There was room for him now. For so long we've been crowding our lives with all these things, and finally we said, uh-uh. Moved to the side. And Christ was finally able to, to come in and we were able to hear him and feel him and speak to him and all these things that we're talking about. So I think first there's something to be said about the, this idea of community. Um, there's something to be said in how it compares with our ability to hear God. 
in a way, it seems to me like relationship, even in and of itself, is key to bringing us back to reality, back to truth. Second, it was clear in this experience that for so long, culture has been invading and robbing these kids of their ability to be free, free to be quiet, free to rest. When is the last time you felt rest? Does it, have you seen your child having rest? Finally, on this trip, um, when given the opportunity to spend just 30 minutes in solitude, 30 minutes outside by yourself, doing nothing, listening, sitting there. Finally, some of these kids were able to experience true intimacy with God for the first time. Some of them have never experienced that before, and some of us have never experienced anything like that before. Solitude is absolutely necessary for God to draw near to us. And yet it is the hardest or one of the hardest things that we will ever attempt. Complete and utter solitude. Silence. Just think back to when you were a kid and and you were put in time out. Forced to quit playing and just to sit alone by yourself doing nothing. How boring and how lame that was. Some of your parents might have called it the thinking chair. You just need to sit, reflect on what you did. Ten minutes, you can get, you know, that whole thing. And as a kid, that's such a dreaded thing. Time out stunk, you know. That was the last place that we wanted to be. But now, as an adult, I find myself longing for that experience. Put me in time out, you know. Make me sit here. Make me sit here and reflect. I want to end with a quote from an author. His name's Phil Anderson. He captures this idea of noise in our lives and, um, and how it is so vital for us to be still. So let me share this with you. Anderson writes, Although Jesus was crowded by noise, busyness, and multitudes of got-to-have-it-now people, none of that threatened him. Neither did the noise, the demands, or the crowds distract him from his constant communion with his Father. In the eye of the daily storm, he knew the inner quiet of peace and focus. In the center stage of engagement, he would withdraw in the midst of being with others nonstop. He knew quiet and solitude. There is a reliable saneness to the cadence of Jesus' life. Seeking solitude and silence was his standard practice. And so it must be for me and for you. So maybe ask yourself, in your life, can you make the time? Can you make solitude and silence a standard practice for you?